Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Exodus 15, 22 to 25, 16, 1 to 8, 13 to 20, and 31 to 32. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. Chapter 16. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come, so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord.
Thank you, Sister Esther. All right. Let's pray together as we turn to God's word. God, we are so grateful for this time. And we thank you that our children, uh, the youngest among us, can also learn about you, about your word, uh, perhaps in a way that they can better comprehend. And we pray, even as we hear the, the commotion of them getting settled in, and even some of their cries, we pray your grace upon them. And we pray the same Holy Spirit to be poured out upon us, because we are your children. Some of us, your screaming children. Some of us, your wayward children, all of us. Jesus, we need you no less than our littlest ones. And in fact, you call us to become like them, deeply dependent, uh, living no illusion that we depend upon you. We come to you as humble children, and we ask you to teach us whatever it is we need to hear. Even stuff maybe we don't want to hear, teach us, instruct our hearts, give us good news, give us life. We pray this. In Jesus' name, amen. A few years after graduating from college, which was just a few years ago, a few friends of mine and I decided that we were up for adventure, wanted to go for an adventure. So we decided to go backpacking, you know, hiking for a few days while all of your gear on your backs. So we gathered up what we needed, drove down to the Shenandoah Valley, not too far from here, and began our journey through the woods with pounds of equipment on each of our backs. Well, the first 24 hours of this grand adventure didn't go so great. The first nights in our tents were so cold Let's just say, by morning, I had a new appreciation for why so many cultures around the world worship the sun. Can tell you more about that later. But even before that point, our whole first day of hiking, I mean, it was fun. At multiple points, the trail was obstructed trees that were knocked down by a recent ice storm. At one point, hit by an unexpected snowstorm. And this was in April, by the way. And one of our friends so much that they started hyperventilating. We really thought we were in trouble. So when we finally put down our backpacks and stopped, for the day. It was only then that I realized just how hungry I was. I'll tell you a totally different kind of hunger. My stomach needed to be filled, really, that's for sure. But so did my heart. Right after the exhausting and stressful day that we just had, I needed some comfort. Some of you know that feeling. What I really needed was one of Bishop's famous campfire steak dinners that I've yet to taste, you know, famous in the community, I believe. 
But listen, by the time that we got that water boiling, I tell you that was one of the best, most satisfying cup of noodles I ever ate in my life. <laughs> noodles from heaven. Now listen, I'm not saying from that one experience that I know what the Israelites were feeling. I'm not saying that I've experienced the worst of hunger. I know some of you may have actually experienced far, far, far worse. But I do feel like just in that little moment, I was able to get something of a glimpse into were facing, what they were facing and what they were struggling with. This brings us into this story, this story of thirst and hunger and provision. It had been only days Israelites, Exodus, Egypt. God just delivered them from slavery in Egypt. And now they were trapped in the desert, and now they were getting hangry. You know, hungry and angry. Three days into the journey, they couldn't find fresh water as they were of the desert of Shur. And then a few weeks later, about two and a half months into their journey, while in the death scene, we're told they found a crust for food. And in the midst of the narrative, which may or may not be familiar to you, I think a couple lessons emerge for us. If I might bring them to you over the next few minutes we have. A few lessons. Number one, food for their bodies. Secondly, grace for their souls. And thirdly, a pattern for their lives. Food for their bodies, grace for their souls, and a pattern for their lives. First, food for their bodies. Once again, as we see so many times in the book of Exodus, God hears the cry of his people and provides for their needs. You almost take it for granted that God would be so generous and kind and so attentive when he hears your cry. God gave them fresh water. In verse 15, sorry, chapter 15, verse 25, we're told Moses cried out to the Lord on the people's behalf, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it in the water, and the water became fit to drink. What a kindness, right? And then in chapter 16, verse 8, God provided them with food. We're told, Moses tells the people, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning. And it's explained to us that that evening, quail, those little birds, quail flew in from all over and covered the campgrounds just out of nowhere. And it was like they were just like, eat me, right? There you go, a big feast. And then the next morning, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. We're told it was bread from heaven. It was white like coriander seed. We're told it tasted like wafers made with honey. And they called it manna. You might know because mana in Hebrew means what is it? 
which is exactly what the Israelites said to each other when they first saw this bread scattered all over the ground because they'd never seen anything like it before. They had never seen a provision from the hand of God like this before. I mean, friends, we need to pay attention to this and not look past it. God hears your cry for help. God is overflowing with compassion for you in your neediness. And God provides for your needs. Notice how this passage reminds us that his provision is abundant. Forty years, for 40 years, God provided this manna every morning on the campgrounds, no matter where the Israelites camped, without fail. I mean, kids, do the math. How many days are there in a year? 365? And 365 days times 40 years? That's 14,600 days. 14,600 times when the Israelites woke up in the morning and found God's gift waiting for them generously, abundantly on the desert floor. You know, I mean, imagine waking up every morning and you thought getting an Amazon package was fun. Imagine the surprise, the joy, the delight, just what you needed and just in time. Listen to the testimony of Nehemiah chapter 9, generations later, reflecting back on this moment. Because of your great compassion, you, God, did not abandon them in the wilderness. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. And so also with you. Keep in mind it's not just the abundance of God's provision that stands out. It's the graciousness of his provision. It's how undeserved it was. You say, what do you mean? They were just hungry, thirsty. Well, understand, if you look closely at the story, their need was a little bit suspect. It's important to remember, they actually had loads and loads of livestock that they brought out of Egypt together with them. Uh, we're told in Psalm chapter 78 that what was really going on was the Israelites were crying out for food that they craved, not just that they needed. They were not here starving to death. They were just uncomfortable. And even so, God met their need. God responded to their cry. Secondly, their need was suspect. Their attitude was also poisonous. You saw this. The people begun, had begun to grumble. We see that word used a few times. We're told in chapter 15, verse 24, so the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? And we're told in chapter 16, verse 2, that they became so hungry that the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. 
Someone says, well, still, aren't we being a little harsh on them? I'd be a little ornery too. But don't forget, they could have just asked God to help them. They could have just prayed and called out to who? The God of the Exodus. Three days before, <laughs> they saw him part the sea so that they could walk right through the middle on dry ground. Just weeks before, they saw him dump plagues upon the whole of the land of Egypt, creating havoc and giving life. They could have simply called out to the God who did some pretty cool things with water, right? The God who had the power to do anything. All they needed to do was ask. But instead, listen to what they say in verse 3. The Israelites said to Moses and Aaron, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. I mean, you hear not only the delusion, oh, slavery was great. Remember that fondue we used to enjoy, right? <laughs> but you can also hear their charges against Moses, indeed against God, the charge of gross incompetency, negligence. You've brought us out here to murder us, haven't you? It's a little reminder, by the way, that even in our grumbling, even in the grumbling that we can kind of be sympathetic towards, we need to be careful. Moses warns the people in verse 8, you're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. It's in light of this, suspect needs even, and poisonous attitudes. It's in light of this that we can see but the most amazing thing in this entire passage is that God gave the Israelites, despite their grumbling, what they asked for. It was completely undeserved, an overflow of his kindness. It was all by grace, a free gift, grace upon grace. This is the kind of God that we have, that we know in Scripture. I mean, if it were up to me, I'd be like, you know, forget it. Find your own bread, right? Or, or, or maybe, oh, here's a crumb, right? This is what you deserve, a crumb. How is that crumb, right? That's what I would have been like. Thank God God is not like me. Thank God he is not like us. Forgiving, merciful, compassionate towards our suffering, generous in providing for our needs. He says in verse 4, I will rain down bread. In verse 12, he says the people would be filled with bread. He promises to satisfy those who don't deserve it. Oh, isn't that the grace of the gospel time and again? And it's important as we consider the different ways in which we too might be crying out for God's provision. Maybe in a relationship. Maybe you need something emotionally. Maybe your life feels like it's going down the drain. Maybe it's a lost loved one or a lost job. Maybe it's lost security. 
material needs that seem to be slipping through your fingers. Don't forget, God's provision doesn't always come in the manner that we expect either. I mean, I'm sure the Israelites were actually hoping for like a golden corral buffet, right? Or, or maybe Chick-fil-A, right? Fill in the blank. God gives them little flakes of bread that fills them, meets their need every day, 14,600 times. But it may not have been what they expected. God has always been in the business of giving us what we need, not just what we crave. And in fact, that's why God gave us Jesus, right? Not what we expected, the savior of the world, he gave us a working-class carpenter who subverted the cultural norms of his day, seemed to love all the wrong people, died on a Roman cross in utter public humiliation and shame, which was a stumbling block to Jewish people and foolishness to the Gentiles. And yet this was a cross of our salvation. And this was our Christ. God gives us what we need, not always what we expect and what we crave. First, bread for our bodies, food for our bodies. Secondly, grace for their souls. See, the important thing to understand about this passage was the whole time God was actually after something deeper. There was a different, deeper lesson that he was trying to teach them. In other words, God was feeding the Israelites more than grain and gluten. See, first notice that God teaches them there's more to life than the physical and the felt. Forty years later, just before the Israelites were about to pass over into the promised land, Moses reflects back on this time. And this is what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 to 4. He says, remember how the Lord your God, 40 years ago, led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. See, God did take care of their bodies, didn't he? He wasn't saying, oh, don't worry about your bodies. He gave them clothes. He kept their feet strong. He did fill their stomachs. But notice all the Israelites cared about were their stomachs. And God was teaching his people to look into their hearts. In other words, he was teaching them that there is in fact life beyond physical life that they needed to tend to. Friends, this is an important word for you and me today. You can have all the food in the world and still starve. We tend to be focused exclusively on our outward and our felt circumstances. How things are feeling, how things are doing. 
Is life sufficiently kind of flowing well? Are there not too many obstacles in my way? Uh, Am I sufficiently happy about how my days are going? Are all my relationships uh, met? uh, Are they marked by peace and by wholeness? And again, those are not bad things to want. God intends to bless us in those things. He gave the Israelites bread for their stomachs and clothes for their backs. But sometimes in times of need, we don't always know what we most truly need. We remain focused on the outward, on the, on the surface, on our circumstances. I mean, I would say even in the last year or two in the midst of this pandemic, as hard as things have been, I want to ask, are you paying sufficient attention to the condition of your souls? Or put it another way, are you giving as much attention to your inward health, the state of your soul, your knowledge of God and the gospel, the health of your heart? Are you giving as much attention to your inward health as you are to your outward health? And what if you applied as much energy inwardly to your protection and to your thriving as perhaps you have outwardly to your protection and your thriving and to that of your families and your neighbors? God knows you need food. He also knows you need God. God knows you need a job. He also knows you need grace for your soul. God knows you need housing and you need friendship and you need a whole host of things that perhaps you're struggling with today. And yet God intends to point us ultimately, deeply and truly to himself. Because God intends for us to know, as he taught the Israelites, that he himself is true sustenance that we need for life itself. Notice how God explains what he's doing and why. In chapter 16, verse 6, he says this, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. Which is a curious thing to say. I'm going to give you this bread that's going to pop up out of nowhere. And what are you going to learn from that? I rescued you. I'm going to remind you who I am. I'm going to show you again that I am your deliverer. I am your source of hope. I am the giver of life. I am the one who meets your needs. And he says, in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord. See, he wants you to remember that he's the one who rescued you. He wants you to see not just bread, but through the bread, he wants you to see him. He wants you to see not just a new job. He wants you to see through that job, his face. Or not just a new relationship, but through that relationship, the hand of the provider. Uh, Not just your material needs being met, but through those material needs, seeing the generous and faithful heart of God. In chapter 16, verse 4, we're told this, the people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. See, he's teaching the people to trust in God to give them their daily bread. 
trust me, wait on me. He's not just filling their stomachs, he's training their hearts. And we're sort of like, hey God, I got this great idea. You know, how about you send us bread in bulk? Right? Send us bread in bulk, you know, Costco size, you know, a month's supply, maybe a week's supply. And God says, no, I want you to have just what you need so that the minute it runs out, you look up at me. That you will see me and not just my hands, but my face. God says everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer, that's about half a gallon, for each person you have in your tent, nothing less and nothing more. Teaching the people to trust in him. Listen to how Psalm 78 reflects on this story. They did not believe in God or trust in his saving power. See, that was the problem here. They did not trust in his saving power, yet he gave a command to the skies above and opened the doors to the heavens. He rained down manna for the people to eat. He gave them the grain of heaven. Human beings ate the bread of angels. He sent them all the food they could eat. So, dear friends, whatever it is that's most bringing you to your knees, you know, some equivalent to feeling hungry in the desert, uh, thirsty in the wilderness, uh, will you allow that to bring you to the Savior? Will you allow that to press you into deeper dependence upon your God who will show up with abundance, who will show up as your provider and as your caregiver? But will you make sure to know that he wants to draw you into those spiritual places to see that man, woman does not live by bread alone, by jobs alone, by material needs being met alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There is life and there's more to this life than what you can simply feel and see. Will you find in him true significance, true intimacy, true purpose, true security, true happiness, and true life? After all, because the manna pointed forward to a truer, more lasting provision. Indeed, Jesus himself told us that manna, the whole point of it at the end of the day was to point his people to him. That's what he says in John chapter 6. True bread from heaven is what I am. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes, Jesus said, will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Jesus is the true life giver, the ultimate sustenance that we're called to seek, to know that he is what we truly, desperately need. Some of you, some of us are living with a spiritual or emotional hunger, and perhaps you're trying to fill it with just about anything relationship, a sense of significance from your jobs, 
or maybe even comfort from a bottle. But see, the only thing worse than hungering for that one thing and not getting it is hungering for it, getting it, and finding out that it ultimately doesn't satisfy. Here's an invitation to one will satisfy. As Brother Phil Riken, a commentator and author, said about this passage, our deepest needs are not physical but spiritual. What we really need is God. And when we have him, we have everything we need. Food for their bodies, grace for their souls, and lastly, we find in this passage a pattern for their lives. What I mean by that is the call that we find embedded in this story, the call to be a community that is marked by sacrificial generosity. You see, that's the last thing you would think that would be the fruit of a life of all these people that are stuck in a wilderness, in a desert, in a place of scarcity, See, when you feel like you're going to run out, what do you need to do? Grab what you can before it runs out. Maybe some of you feel like you're in a season of scarcity right now. And maybe you feel like you need to grab a hold of what's yours out of fear that you might miss your chance. This passage reminds us against uh, sort of a lifestyle or ethic of, of hoarding, how destructive it can be. In the most interesting way, God basically builds it into the manna system, as it were. He says, you're to gather an omer, again, a half gallon, for each person you have in your tent. Everyone's to gather as much as they need. And so the Israelites were told in verse 17, the Israelites did as they were told, some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much didn't have too much. The one who gathered little didn't have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. And anyone who started to hoard too much thinking, hey, let me just store this in case things go bad or in case God is late, the delivery doesn't show up on time, or we run out. Hey, let me just put some of this away. It turned to maggots. It rotted. It became putrid. It was unusable, inedible, because God was trying to teach them a lesson. Sufficient is what you have for this day. Don't worry. I'll provide for you tomorrow what you need for tomorrow, and I'll provide for you today what you need today. You know, sometimes we, we're tempted to accumulate stuff, and by that, I don't only mean material possessions or toilet paper. I mean also relational needs or emotional energy. We kind of bring things around and say, don't make me spend this you because I don't know what I might have left after all is said and done. Sometimes we hoard not just out of greed, but out of fear. Are you afraid these days? But listen to the way the Apostle Paul reflects upon this story. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. He's talking to the Corinthian church, inviting them to make good on their commitment to give donations to Christians in Jerusalem who had been slammed by a famine, hungry and needy, 
The Apostle Paul is saying, not only give to them because they're your brothers and sisters, but also give because your Savior is one who, though he was rich, became poor for your sake, so that through his poverty, you might become rich. Spend yourself on others, just like Jesus did. And so he says, share your financial burdens to meet one another's needs. Make mutual sacrifices to maintain a shared sense of life together. And this is what he says. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are burdened, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your abundance will supply what they need so that in turn their abundance will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, and here he quotes from Exodus chapter 16, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. And here's what he says in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. Each of you should give what you have decided to give in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work as it is written. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. What is the New Testament teaching us about this Old Testament passage? Apparently, either by some act of generosity or something else, everyone in the Israelite community had all of their needs met. Whether if it was after the gathering process of manna, every day they looked around and said, well, I have more than I need here, you take some. And another person who gathered as best as they could, but maybe they were a little bit slower. Maybe they walked with a limp. Uh, maybe they had more children in their household, but they realized they didn't have enough. So they looked to their neighbor, their friend, who then shared with them. We're not sure exactly the mechanism by which things became spread out fairly and evenly across the community. But we know that the Apostle Paul looks back on this time and he says, there's an example of the generous sacrificial giving that we find in God's covenant community, meeting one another's needs because they were confident that God had met theirs. So do you see the call here? To, to live a pattern of life confident that God will provide for us, Jehovah Jireh, that he will love us to the end, abundantly, generously, so much so that I can trust in him to meet my needs and I can give and give and give and give again and share one another's burdens and supply from all that I have and give to those that maybe don't have. That I can look around in the pews of the church and say, here's something that I have. Maybe it's a meal, or maybe it's money, or maybe it's emotional resources. Maybe it's love to share. Maybe it's words, conversation. You're one that hasn't run out of words of kindness that you need to give generously to people. Maybe it's room and space in your home. Maybe it's of your time. Maybe it is of your possessions. But this call that God builds into his economy in his community 
where he says, look out around and look at this manna story and see how God always intended for us to live with a kind of equality where everyone's needs are being met. John Calvin in the 16th century wrote this, reflecting on this very passage. The Lord has not prescribed to us an omer or any other measure according to which the food of each day is to be regulated, but he has enjoined upon us frugality and temperance and has forbidden that anyone should go to excess taking advantage of his abundance. Let those then that have riches, whether they have been left by inheritance or procured by industry and efforts, consider that their abundance was not intended to be laid out in intemperance or excess, but in relieving the necessities of the brethren. For whatever we have is manna. God, your provider, calls us to share that which he's provided you. This is a gospel call. This is when the seed of grace gets planted into your heart, what happens when it bears fruit and flourishes in your life. You want to share just like Jesus has shared his life with you. So, dear friends, have you tasted of this manna, as it were, this bread of life, this one who promises to feed you and, and give you life that will never end? And will you see that out of the strength of that provision, that God calls you to live a life of gospel generosity and sacrificiality. It's the way that we image him forth in this world and in our church. It's the way that we live a life of trust and dependence upon God. It's the way that we live out that prayer that we so often pray, our Father, give us our daily bread. And he has the bread of life, even Jesus himself. Let's pray. We ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see Jesus. Oh, we need you. We need your life. We need your strength. We need your hope. We need your generosity. We need your heart of sharing, giving, loving, serving. And help us to believe these things and to be these things. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.